0: You're listening to Under the Radar Podcast, where artists share their childhood memories, musical inspirations, and the milestones that help shape them and their music. I'm your host, Celine Blocky.
1: I guess the moral is that you never know what someone else is thinking or feeling or going through. And like in those moments where I feel so self-conscious or so nervous or like having the worst internal monologue ever and then everyone else is like wow that was a great show (laughs) and I think every performer like goes through different moments of that for me it's just been like figuring out how to balance those thoughts and not like totally disregard them but just kind of accept them and then move on like without buying into it My name is Courtney Barnett, and we are talking about my new album, Things Take Time, Take Time, which is coming out November 12th on Mum & Pop and Marathon and Milk Records.
2: In the morning I'm slow I drag a chair
0: singer-songwriter Courtney Barnett was suffering from burnout during the US tour for a second album tell me how you really feel she was doing her usual round of press on one radio show she was asked a light-hearted question about her longtime partner musician Jen Cloher the pair have toured together written songs about each other and co-founded their own indie record label Courtney had to reveal that their relationship had in fact ended. She smiled and carried on with the live show that was also being recorded. It was a time of turmoil in her life for many reasons, but she rarely gave anything away. She continued to work and tour. In early 2020, Courtney was in Joshua Tree at the close of a small tour. She was considering staying in California for a bit when news of the pandemic broke. She returned to Melbourne and for the first time ever found herself living on her own. Her third album, Things Take Time, Take Time, was recorded during lockdown and it marks a new outlook, a change of pace in her grunge and rock-inflected music. Before we hear more about her latest album, Courtney gives us insight into her shy personality and the connection with her songwriting. But first, she takes us right back to her childhood in Australia. You grew up in Sydney, right, in the northern beaches, and it's known for its surf and beautiful beaches. So what was it like growing up in those suburbs?
1: Yeah, I guess I just grew up definitely around the water and um, a real kind of nature kid. I mean, you know, it was about an hour out of Sydney, so we hardly ever, like, went into the city, (laughs) Um, I guess is what we called it. It was really nice. It's the kind of thing that you look back on as you get older and you're like, wow, I was so lucky growing up there, being right near the water, being near these amazing national parks, just me and my brother and my parents. And I think being that close to kind of nature was really nice. I used to love watching, you know, the TV show Rage. Yeah. Kind of like MTV or whatever in America. And that used to be my favourite thing to do on a Saturday morning. And then my brother and I would probably ride our bikes or play basketball. We had, like, a hoop on the wall. And, yeah, we were just always kind of in the garden or down at, like, the park running around. You know, we had a couple of neighbours just across the road and... um with like the other kind of kids our age. My brother's four years older than me and they were all they were all kind of his age. And so I was the youngest one and I really looked up to all of them and wanted to hang out with them and wanted to do whatever they were doing. So it was, yeah, I always felt so excited to like be included. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they had houses that faced onto the water and you could jump off like a jetty into the into the water so that's kind of what we spent like our summer holidays doing and it, yeah thinking back to that is is kind of pure pure joy because it was just we were just kind of left to our own devices as kids to find our own fun that's when I guess I started playing music as well because some of the older kids, Played music and I just like begged them to let me sit in the room with them while while they were <laughs> playing playing instruments and I like sat in the corner watching them.
0: <laughs> was there like a song for you or or a moment for you where you thought, wow, you know, music? It's like it can really take you somewhere.
1: Yeah, I think that. I mean, that was definitely when I started getting into music, and it was from from all those kids, my brother and his friends and you know I just listened to what they were listening to and because we didn't really have the source to get music from didn't really exist so they their stepdad was American and every now and then he'd like go for a trip to America and come back with CDs and then he they would they would like make us mixtapes from the imported (laughs) American CDs which we thought was like so incredible and so we would listen to those mixtapes that was like my first introduction to music and it was like nirvana and no doubt Jimi hendrix and i don't know what else janet jackson and then a few years later we got us we got like a cd player and we started buying our own cds but it was just so fun to like just like this whole new world opened up do you have a memory that kind of makes you sad? I mean, I remember my nan died when I was five, pretty young, mm. but not like, yeah, I don't, nothing evokes like that kind of, like I don't have that kind of musical trigger of something that kind of, I guess it would be probably the closest thing would probably be my teens going through like, <laughs> teenage heartbreaks and um, that kind of stuff and, like, listening to the same CDs on repeat. But I I can't even think, I mean, it might have been kind of Nirvana or something, but that doesn't make me sad listening to it. It just kind of, in a way, I I love the nostalgic memory that, like, attaches to music is so powerful, I think, like, especially from that kind of age more so than nearly any other moment in life but those earlier memories like yeah I think even like music that isn't even that good but you yeah. love it because it you know takes you back to a certain memory <laughs> I know
0: I know what you mean and sometimes like the lyrics are all wrong but it makes sense to your life <laughs> at that time you're like oh, that that's totally. what the that song is
1: about <laughs> yeah
0: I remember coming across something you'd said in an interview about like being in the school band and like the pretty girls in the class that wanted to be singers, but you were like relegated to the guitar player. <laughs> but it was obvious
1: that you already wanted to sing.
0: So how did you feel about that?
1: Yeah, definitely was a guitar player first. And then I guess people, you know, people I liked, the Jimi Hendrix and the like Kurt Cobain kind mm-hmm. of, they would sing and play guitar and I thought that was interesting. But whenever I tried to sing and play guitar at the same time, it was really difficult. Um it's like doing two trying to do two things at once. And um and I think I just was so shy to sing in front of people. And I didn't I mean it's it's still a bit of a mystery. I find that a very kind of fascinating part of the like weird human psychology of just like how vulnerable we are about our voices and like how i felt i felt like that as a kid without even kind of knowing why i should be nervous or embarrassed or shy um it was just a kind of natural instinct and so many people obviously have that and so many people like apparently the number 1 fear in the world is public speaking which I can relate to so yeah I just never like I would sing in my room and then I don't think I sung in front of anyone till I was like 16 or something and Mm. that was terrifying and then when I was 18 I kind of started performing my own songs and singing and I just slowly got over it I guess. Was that when you were inviting girls to come to your
0: open mic girls that you like to come to your open mic shows so that you can sing maybe sing them that
1: perfect song that you couldn't like <laughs> articulate to them? Yeah. Well good research. <laughs> it's it's kinda of spot on.
0: So you moved from Sydney to Tasmania? at the time, did it bother you that you were leaving Sydney? Or was it like you were just happy as Larry? (laughs) It's just like
1: you were a kid. What does it matter? My family's with me. I think, no, I think I was pretty, like, I was pretty mad about it. I was, I would have been 15, I think, 15 or 16. So it was like, uh, I liked my friends. And, you know, I was definitely uh, pretty vocally upset to my parents about it. But yeah, I think that they, you know, they both worked full time and like mm-hmm. I think that they were just kind of over the life that they were leading at the time and I think they just wanted a change of scenery, that kind of slower life, I think. It it didn't really take me too long like I, you know, I think we're adaptable and kind of settled into a new place and made friends mm-hmm. and and now looking back, you know, I realize that I was a real brat (laughs) and like it was such a like it was probably a good lesson you Mm -hmm. know at the time and just for life in general and for just learning how to deal with changes Mm.
0: then you go to like art school and then you wind up moving to melbourne and like not even back to sydney so it's like on this let's just do something new
1: it's like why did you pick melbourne I don't really remember. I think I just wanted a change of scenery mm. and I was like 20. I just felt like itchy feet or whatever. Like I just needed to do something different. Mm. Melbourne is kind of the closest port to Hobart. It was as simple as just wanting a different mm. a different place, a different kind of challenge, a different world to explore.
0: Yeah. And also like I don't know if this is entirely true, but like I I feel like Melbourne also has like that DIY spirit, um, I don't know whether it's more so than Sydney, so that's why I kind of stopped myself saying that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely some great musicians in Sydney. I don't know. I pr- Probably maybe at the time, like, I could relate more to some of the Melbourne musicians or mm. um, the kind of scene that looked like was happening there.
0: In Melbourne... Courtney starts releasing her music. With some help from her grandmother, she records and releases her first EP in 2012. It's called I've Got a Friend Named Emily Ferris. It's also in Melbourne that she meets and eventually begins a relationship with Jen Cloher, already a respected Australian artist at the time. Together, they start Milk Records and Courtney releases her double EP, A Sea of Split Peas, on their new label. She's then presented with the opportunity to perform at an Australian music showcase at CMJ, a music industry festival in New York. Avon Gardiner, a peculiar song about a panic attack, strikes a chord with the American audience. I want to grow
2: tomatoes on the front steps, sunflower.
0: Her witty, lackadaisal delivery of stream-of-consciousness poetry, peppered with American pop culture references and Australian colloquialisms, soon lands her on late-night TV. Suddenly, this tiny independent label from Melbourne has an artist poised for global success.
2: I'm breathing but I'm wheezing, Feel like I'm in for my throat
0: like avant Gardner, did you like ever figure out for sure what brought it on and was that like your first panic attack was it like the hay fever or was it like something you were thinking about
1: no i never figured out what it was and even recently when i got my covid vaccine yeah they asked if i was like had anaphylaxis and i just was like well kind of once but so it was yeah it's just this weird kind of yeah i never figured it out and they didn't really know and i think i was just like slightly allergic to a few things and then maybe like on top of that had a kind of anxiety attack because I was having trouble breathing. So it was, like, mm. I think that one influenced the other and then they kind of went in a in a vicious kind of circle. So, but, yeah, that was, I mean, nothing like that has ever happened again, thank God. It was scary.
0: Yeah. At which point did you kind of go, oh, yeah, that would make a good song? <laughs>
1: I don't know. I remember working on it not long after, but I didn't, I guess I just started writing about it. And then I was like, now it's a song.
0: Courtney then writes more songs and releases her debut album, Sometimes I Sit and Think, Sometimes I Just Sit. It gets nominated for a Grammy and a Brit Award. It's now undeniable that we can't get enough of her lyrical style, exposing insecurities and failings that we recognize as our own or understand acutely. Has anyone even sung to us in this way before? The accolades pour in and she's hailed as the best lyricist of her generation. I wanted to talk a little bit about Pedestrian at Best because this was just like for us in the U.S. We were just kind of getting to know you and you were already writing this song about like someone who'd started to see some success and feel that pressure of everyone's expectations. Where were you at when you wrote that song? Good
1: question. Isn't it funny how that just feels like so long ago? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I guess that was like twenty fifteen was that album? I don't The album was twenty fifteen. So you must have been writing it yeah, twenty fourteen, earlier, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I remember that song. I wrote it quite quickly. And I know that it definitely deals with, you know, what you were just talking about. Um, I think it's such a bigger like a lot of it is just more just expectations in general. Like mm-hmm. not so much with success and fame and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. I think it's just in general like the kind of expectations that people put on each other and the -hmm. kind of how we all like project things onto other people and kind of make up this story in our own head that kind of follows and then it's like you get let down because someone else didn't live up to your expectations as a friend as a lover as a partner, as whatever it is, as a business associate. So it's like it's this weird kind of push and pull Mm. that we all deal with in different ways. I guess, like, to me, that song is kind of a bit more about that, I think. Um, But, I mean, it's about everything, really, at the same time. Sure.
0: I mean, it definitely um, fleshed out so many ideas when it comes to people's expectations, but that kind of, you know, like this year you're everybody's favorite and then next year there's somebody else. And then how do you (laughs) deal with that? I mean, like that's so kind of pertinent, I guess. So you've kind of said that you're comfortable on stage and even like hearing you talk before it's like you were shy but I think I've read that you just kind of told yourself well I'm just gonna write songs that I'm comfortable singing and then it's gonna be more comfortable for me to sing this and then like you know everything's gonna get better and so it it sort of works and uh, I mean like I speak to artists so often who like it's debilitating but I feel like for you when you're on stage you do look so comfortable it's like It's almost like a superpower (laughs) that you have. I mean, what is it about it? And sort of when did you kind of realize, oh, wow, this is a kind of superpower? Like people are listening to me. No one's asking me awkward questions because I've got the mic. Yeah.
1: I don't know if I've ever really thought about it like that. (laughs) But um, it's a nice way to look at it, I guess. It's funny because, yeah, a lot of the time I I feel so kind of I guess the moral is that you never know what someone else is thinking or feeling or going through and, like, in those moments where I feel so self-conscious or so nervous or, like, having the worst, like, internal monologue mm. ever and then everyone else is like, wow, that was a great show. <laughs> and but i think i think every performer like goes through different moments of that i think for me it's just been figuring out how to balance those thoughts and not like totally disregard them but just kind of accept them and then move on like without buying into it mm. but even i mean it's kind of easier said than done but i, I think it's a little, kind of a process and like an ongoing kind of practice of just being, I don't know, like happy and proud of what I do.
0: Mm. I mean, it's weird, this kind of like being nervous about things and like you obviously, that the confidence for me, I feel like I can see it, you know, when you're on stage. But like before I got on the thing to interview you, I went to the bathroom twice. It's always like before you interview someone, there's always like still like a bit of nerves, you know, right? Yeah. (laughs) um so it's also interesting what you bring up this is kind of leads us into tell me how you really feel and that album and and how one of the things you were kind of exploring was I heard that you had a camera or, or a polaroid that you were able to like take photos of yourself because it was like a crazy time in the world with like so much going on um and you were taking these selfies to kind of see if whatever you were feeling inside would show up mm-hmm. when you took a selfie, and more often than not, it didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: what was going on at that time, which kind of made you like, oh, I, I want to do this little experiment for myself. Um.
1: I yeah, I think it was just um, when I was writing that album. It just seems. I mean, listening when I listen back to the songs or when I read the lyrics, it just seems like so. Um. I guess I feel in a different – I definitely, you know, feel in a different Mm. place and it's – I think sometimes with that time and distance you can, like, read something differently and you can interpret it so differently and kind of see through it. I mean, I can, like, just see just, like, just these kind of, like, I guess whatever – some struggle and some pain and some, like, well-guarded high walls that I had kind of put up around me.
0: Why do any of us create walls? I guess to protect ourselves. With the success of her debut came a lot of touring. And Tell Me How You Really Feel hinted at the downsides of global stardom. She now had more fans than ever, But she was feeling disconnected from herself, her friends and family back home, and from her relationship with Jin. On the song City Looks Pretty, she articulates so succinctly in a rhyming couplet the pitfalls of achieving this fame. During that time, Courtney was recording her thoughts on a dictaphone for a documentary. Danny Cohen, her frequent collaborator and friend, knew she often found it hard to open up on demand for the camera or to journalists. In a recent New York Times article, she revealed that with the album, she had wanted to talk about depression and mental health, but it got swept aside because she was too scared to talk about anything real or heavy but you hear hints of her turmoil in the songs. Her plaintive vocals drowned by the crunchy guitars is a little like how we all felt at the time. It was the height of Trumpism. There was so much misinformation, and the online misogyny was unbearable. And while a social situation might make Courtney anxious and leave her at a loss for words, in a song she could formulate the perfect rebuke to an online troll. are scared that women will laugh at them. Women are scared that men will kill them. Courtney quotes Margaret Atwood to highlight the entrenched power imbalance in the dystopia we were living through. Um, What was going on for you with Nameless Faceless at the time? Were you getting online trolls or were you just like watching the culture and just thinking there's just so much going on? It's so unhealthy.
1: Yeah, it was kind of a combination of it all and like pr- probably minimal, I mean a little bit, but uh, kind of, of like personal, like people saying things, but mm. even not in comparison to like some friends or just other people that I saw, but some close friends. So it was kind of a combination of um, of that, but then also just like consuming the news and consuming kind of the world around us and just like, kind of reading it from so many different angles. The song is kind of doing my best to try to understand, like, the behaviour behind that kind of violence and hatred and the kind of fear that breeds it. Mm. I mean, not really getting anywhere but just, like, trying to kind of look at it with some form of empathy or something but kind of still being angry but (laughs) trying to, like, You know, when you like trying to understand a behavior so you can like take it apart and fix it.
0: It wasn't hard to feel like everything was broken at that time. It felt like we were all trying to make sense of what was going on with the world and with politics and racism and history. In 2018, Courtney did an in excess cover of the love song, Never Tear Us Apart, as part of Apple's support for marriage equality in Australia. There was a plebiscite to vote on the issue. It's like a referendum, except that a plebiscite isn't binding for the government, no matter how the public votes. Instead of wasting all that money, the general consensus was that the government should have just done the right thing and made same-sex marriage legal. Instead, Sydney, known as the mecca for the LGBTQ community, saw an increase of violence against them. Bigots graffitied hate speech on trains, public buildings, even the iconic Sydney Opera House.
1: You know, we're at this place now. It's a real kind of grateful and real privilege to be queer without, like, that fear of, Mm. you know, a lot to do with, like, decades of people before us kind of doing a lot of the really hard work. But I think the referendum... um, that I think that was just especially hurtful for so many different reasons because it kind of bred so much hatred and violence and kind of an excuse mm. you know it's it's almost like the government was kind of allowing people to kind of giving this platform to kind of spread that hatred and just like seeing friends with families that kind of felt that felt like their whole life. And their relationships and their families were, like, discounted because all of a sudden people were questioning whether or not they were valid, like, you know. Mm. And it was, mm. it was horrible just, like, bringing it down to this weird competition, like, what's better, Coke or Pepsi, just so unnecessary mm. and so... um dehumanizing and
0: yeah i noticed that you could go and look at all the polling records and it was heartbreaking to like be able to see each town how many people came out to vote no yeah it's it's just kind of like yeah yeah very 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 disappointing in the wake of all that her relationship with jen cloher ended soon after the season of devastating australian bushfires began It felt like the whole world was burning at every turn. But Courtney kept working and touring. The pandemic happened while she was at the end of a small tour in California. She returned home to Melbourne and for the first time had to live on her own. Through that time, a friend who was worried about her encouraged her to write a list of things that made her happy. That list became one of the songs on her third album, Things Take Time, Take Time. It became about finding positives in a negative situation. The whole album is quieter, more meditative.
2: I say, why are-
0: Courtney actively sought out to do things differently. She recorded it with war paint drummer Stella Mozgawa, who also produces the album, instead of with her usual band. There is a slower pace to her songs. She attempts to take down some of those walls. She tries not to use humour as a crutch, to detract from things she doesn't want to deal with. It's personal in a way that she hasn't been before. There's an intimate song dedicated to the blush of new love and even a recognition of her fame, something she's always shied away from discussing. You
2: know that every morning I'm rising with you on my mind, if loving you
0: has never liked showing her unfinished songs to her band, but this time she shared her song ideas freely with Stella. And even though she was now recording vocals in cupboards or the living room, there was one constant. Right up to the moment that she steps inside her vocal booth to record the final take, Courtney's always still tweaking words and fine-tuning lines.
1: I think the lyric thing is just, like, me being very, um, it's just, like, this small level of indecision or maybe not just indecision, just, like, the finality of putting something onto a record. I think there's this part of my brain that is always just a little bit. It's, like, one line in a song. Mm. There's something in me that, like, refuses to settle <laughs> On (laughs) Which I guess is good because it like forces me to do the work to find the best thing and not settle on, you know, something I don't like or a line I don't like. So I think even though it can be kind of frustrating in the moment, it's like it's still probably all for the best. Yeah, the process of this album is I guess it was just, I don't know, it just all came together in a really nice and like I guess it was a year of kind of uncertainty and not knowing how things were going to work and I couldn't get into a studio Mm. at, at some points when I wanted to and all that kind of stuff but it was just about adapting to to um the kind of circumstances and the what was going on and I just kind of wrote a lot at home and demoed a lot and sent a lot of those earlier kind of demos to Stella and and then that was like a Really nice process of passing ideas hmm. back and forth, kind of via distance, and just talking about and sh- like sharing music in that way, and then just realizing that I that I that I wanted to work together and collaborate on this project. Um, and the boys were okay with it. We're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they're two of my best friends, so it was kind of. I think they got it. They it was just a kind hmm. of just doing something in a different way and it's just kind of I guess where my head was at and just stepping outside that kind of comfort zone and experimenting a little bit. I think it was good. I almost went into the studio just with the intention to kind of make a few songs or kind of work on a record but not like make the record, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah without the pressure of doing the whole thing in one go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was a kind of work in progress. Like I think even when we when Stella and I went into the studio, we kind of thought that we might just track some of it there and then add, you know, get some other musicians in mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. As time went on, it was just yeah, we kind of picked up another instrument and and just started layering on top of it and it was really really fun. I liked the process because it was kind of unexpected.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think as a listener, you don't really go, oh, where's the rest of the band or anything. You're just kind of really stuck into listening to the songs and what it's about that you don't go like, oh, yeah, that's missing like a real drummer here. (laughs)
2: Yeah. You know,
0: it's just like yeah. the lyrics and the storytelling really take you there. Um, So the sequence of the songs on the album, like, I would have thought it would be like pandemic songs, the end of a relationship songs. Like, I don't want to call it like a breakup album, but, you know, but like in my head, I'm like, oh, you know, it would have followed this line of... Pandemic, and also then the end of a relationship, and then maybe a new love on its way, or like, you know, like a little bit exciting towards the end there. But that's not how you put the songs. You know, it's like the way you told the story in the album, it's like it's really hard to shake this feeling of this person not being here anymore. What was your thinking when you were structuring the way the songs were placed on the album?
1: Um, it's always a hard one to. To, like, get that track listing right and to get the kind of f- flow of the the musical kind of energy and the narrative energy and, like, it's kind of a bit of a puzzle, mm. like figuring it out how it all dynamically fits together. Music is so... um open to interpretation and, like, even just hearing you talk about your kind of <laughs> interpretations of the album, which are not, like, I mean, it's just interesting to, like, see how how people kind of take the meanings of the songs mm-hmm. differently. Yeah. And um, I guess I'm eternally fascinated by that because everybody is <laughs> – read something different and reads kind of in between the lines in their own unique ways, and it's always interesting for me. But, I mean, I guess when we were doing the track listing and I I really zoned in on some of the lyrics and I noticed, like, these recurring Mm. themes and words and just stuff I didn't really think about when I was writing, and if I did, I probably would have tried to avoid some of the repetition. Mm -hmm. But I think even that's like a subconscious Obviously it was just like the kind of the whole day and night like cycle mm. of time and distance and it just seems to like continually keep coming up on the album without even noticing. That was the kind of where my mind was obviously at and this kind of life and death mm. and seasons and change and I don't know, there it, seems to be a lot of that on the album.
0: Mm. Which kind of makes sense we were all stuck at home for, I don't know, about 17 months for some of us, where that's all that was a constant, right? The, the fact that day begins and then it's nighttime and then day begins again and then it's nighttime you hear about people dying and then you hear about people who are still around and you just try and, you know, do whatever you can for the people that you can, that you care about. Mm. Um, uh, did, I think you said something like in one of your interviews that for uh, for this album it, was like a shift in your outlook that you were maybe a little bit more defensive musically and personally in your previous album, even though like when I listened to the previous album, I thought, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of, there's a lot that you're giving to us. You you are emotionally open, but now when you yourself have thought that, well, during that time you actually were quite guarded still. And with this album, you know, you feel like you're, you're more open and like, If you're uncomfortable with something, you shouldn't just make a joke about it. It's like you have to, you know, there's there's more to it. You're covering up less, so to speak. So in hindsight, what's a a particular song or a particular lyric that made it into this new album where you were like, maybe in the old days you would have made a joke out of it and left it in there or maybe even taken it out. And now you're like, I'm going to leave this in here because it's like growth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure what, like, a yeah, what a comparison would be, but um, off the top of my head, I can't, I can't even think of one. But I think it's probably just the like connection that I have to the lyrics, and I guess you know, it, it seems like I'm being hard on myself mm. when I said that uh, comment, but it's like, I guess it's just being like having that much closeness and like really knowing myself, um and and the way my kind of brain works and just when you, w- with that time and distance and looking back and, and looking back on like an older you or a younger you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, you can just like see the, the guardedness or the like
2: mm.
1: where you kind of making jokes to protect yourself or whatever it is. I mean, I'm sure. I still do it. You know what I mean? It's just like, Continually trying to take that into account so that you can only like learn from that and try to see it for what it is and be better or change it Mm -hmm. or just be aware of it, I guess, is probably the, the, the first thing.
0: night brings the album to a close in a beautiful and affecting way. After Splendor, another song about missing someone. The emotions are raw, tender, and familiar. I tell her these two are my favorites, and ask her which came first, the emotions, melodies, or the lyrics.
1: First of all, that makes me so happy that that's your favorite song, Uh Um, (laughs) or those two in general. But I feel like splendor is such a small it's like this tiny slice of a song, and I was kind of I really love it, and I think it's really special but so simple and i was it feels like it's the kind of little underdog of the album, but mm-hmm. I'm glad that you like it. I remember writing it one night um in like a hotel in bed. I had like my guitar in bed, and I wrote mm-hmm. it. Um, Pretty much on the spot. The majority of it was written in, in one go. And it wasn't during the pandemic? No, no. I think I wrote that song um, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, or I don't know now, th- three. <laughs> <laughs> but I um, was a night as well. That like a chunk of it came to me musically and um, like the opening line which i thought then was like a chorus mm-hmm. but now it's not the chorus yeah that was kind of the first thing that came to me in the the chord the chord progression and and it kind of sounded like i liked it instantly because it kind of sounded familiar and like nostalgic and it sounded like it had already ex- existed or i think as well that's probably because i I later realized that I had already written it. <laughs> I'd already come up with that like melody or chord progression like a year or so before. Mm. So technically it was nostalgic because I had already written it, but I'd forgotten about it and then remembered it. <laughs> In answer to your question, that's how that happened. And then, yeah, we took it into the studio and kind of spent a lot of time working on it and building it like a lot of the other songs and. Mm it just something about it kinda of wasn't it wasn't exciting us yeah. in the studio and so we kinda of started out sounding uh, yeah, it was more kinda of upbeat and um and kinda of guitar driven and we um Stella suggested halving the tempo and swapping instruments and so that's why we ended up with the version that's on the album, which I just fell in love with as soon as we did that. I think the simplicity of it as well. Stella was playing piano and mm. I was playing drums, and it was just this kind of simple and slightly kind of night, na- like musically naive version, and, and and it kind of made the made me hear the lyrics in a different way, and it just it just turned it into a different song, into a better a better song, I thought. Yeah, in the moment
0: when you were in the studio with Stella, did you immediately go like, "Whoa"? This this is where I want the song to be, like you know, like sometimes you can tell like a song is getting better or it's hitting some emotional point. Did you have that?
1: Kind of. We were kind of joking about it at the time. It was like the end of a day and like time to go home, but we would we were kind of racking our brains with how to fix this <laughs> song or how to change it and fix it. And it was no, we were joking at the time that it was like a scene from a movie where like a, a songwriting montage. <laughs> um <laughs> but so we weren't sure if we were doing the right thing or just like i think just being open like probably one of the biggest lessons for me on the album was just being open to um making mistakes you know taking a path that doesn't feel like you don't know the answer or you don't know where it's going to end up but just kind of trusting that process that um Maybe you need to take the longer path to end up at the better spot. So,
0: you know, you kind of ostensibly, I think, kind of started a whole indie rock genre. Like I think of like women sing speaking in the sort of colloquial manner that is also poetic and funny and self-deprecating. I mean, there's always been like rock chicks, right? So women have been making music for a long time, but it was always like serious because maybe we had to be because otherwise the men would be like, this is not real rock. But you sort of opened that floodgates to like in your lyrics just shine and just, Present this kind of this way of being a musician that maybe we hadn't really seen quite like it before. Um, what does it mean for you to be able to like make this kind of music that resonates with people? Because on the very light end of the spectrum, it's like oh, entertaining, but on like the more deeper end, it, it can be really life affirming as well for the listener.
1: I guess I'm flattered that you think that. <laughs> <laughs> but i certainly wouldn't think i wouldn't assume, like i i, I do not think that i um that i like started started that or invented um anything <laughs> but i'm certainly flattered that you that you said that um but i you know i think everyone inspires each other in so many different ways and i just kind of can only like make the music that feels most kind of natural and like whenever I Mm -hmm. in the past have like tried to emulate something that I love and, and it you can tell when someone's not enjoying something or like not. I guess that idea of like being true to yourself or doing what feels, I guess even that is a process of figuring that out. But the way that I play and sing is just the only way I know how to do it.
0: Earlier this week, I saw Courtney perform at Gold Diggers. Stella was with her. Together, they answered questions about the new album. As always, Courtney managed to sidestep the more personal questions, and when asked what she hoped people will take away from the album, she replied, I would be happy if people just found something they were looking for in this album.
2: Stars in the sky are gonna die Eventually it's fine Just like a lonely satellite Drifting for a little while If I don't hear from you tonight If I don't hear from you tonight And it's so quiet outside With this curfew now an okay time to tell you that i like you i'll wait for your reply you've been
0: listening to under the radar podcast featuring courtney barnett this episode was produced by me celine Tio-Blocki, and executive produced by mark redfern additional editing was provided by Azine Samari, with sound design by lily sloan media and graphic design by jenny woodward with additional help from wendy redfern our resident legal eagle is deborah davis Hahn. under the radar is a nationally distributed print magazine and website founded in 2001 by mark and wendy redfin you can find us at www.undertheradarmag.com if you can please support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash under underscore the underscore radar. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like this episode, please rate the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Follow us so you don't miss an episode. Till next
2: time. If I don't hear from you tonight